0: Welcome to Cross of Gold, the podcast where two brothers, one a Christian in the political wilderness, and the other a socialist in the spiritual wilderness, work to rediscover faith in each other, our communities, and the American experiment. We have faith,
1: and they have walked when our calamity came. We think no
0: longer. We defy them. You shall not press down upon the proud labor, this crown of thorns. Hello everybody, this is Cyrus, your socialist brother, yet again here with Chase, the Christian brother, and another guest, um, our our dad, Pop Capo, is in the house um, for a little bit different of an episode today. Uh, how are we doing today, fellas? Doing good. Hello, everyone.
2: Dad, you're the only guest to make a, uh, a reappearance, so... Uh, that is proof if you ever doubt that we hold you in high esteem um, well thank you in indeed besides kato but um, <laughs> he's hanging out racked out on my lap right now
0: yes well, well, i'm, I'm honored. honored thank you, thank you guys started. virtual room at least again
2: yeah yeah and you know what uh, guys we've got a, a deeper topic and so we're really focusing on the rediscover faith in each other component of this one today uh, we all recently got together for the passing of, um, our grandma, dad's mom, uh, grandma, Joni Brambora. And we, boy, you know what, uh, we're there as she transitioned into hospice and, uh, dad was there the morning she passed. And so we've had some really good, tough, sad conversations, um, the last couple weeks. And so, we want to do our best, and it will fall short, but an ode to Grandma Joan, a, a, a person, a character um, who grew up very differently than the, the three of us, and, and just about you know, 99.99% of people today. Um, and so what we want to do, and guys, add into this overview, but I'd love us to track a little bit of some, tell some stories, um, of grandma Jones upbringing, uh, through dad, your, your upbringing through some of the memories Cyrus and I have, and, and then maybe, um, stand back from those and reflect on lessons learned of her life at uh, life and death, because boy, um, she left life in a, in, in a good way, in a tough way. And, um, and boy, we all love her and, 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 uh, and miss her, but I just think that, you know, what, um, there's,
0: yeah, you know, we, we debated even doing this episode, like a lot of episodes we do, it seems, but, um, at, you know, at the end of the day, it just seemed disingenuous to be thinking about these things and having that at the front of our minds for, you know, as long as it has been, but not talking about it and talking about something else. And, and, as, as Chase said, you know, a lot of the, the conversations we've had have had some really fruitful, I think, realizations for all of us. Um, so, so yeah, we just uh, figured that in, in many ways, you know, Grant, our, our grandma had led a very interesting life and, and her legacy is uh, a really colorful one. Um, but we wanted to share some of that with, uh, with our listeners because I thought there were some really good lessons to take from her life and, and her death.
2: Dad, can you lead us in? start at the beginning uh we looked at a lot of old pictures this last month with her about where she was raised and how she was how she was raised and my goodness
1: yeah you know guys listen grandma joan obviously you know she's she was uh 74 when she passed uh she was born in 1947 in portland oregon uh different portland than the portland today (laughs) uh I, i would say that and and from there you know, um, her, her father uh, left uh, my grandmother uh, or her father uh, at a pretty early age. Uh, so she, it, was, it, was my, it was my grandma and um, my aunt Suzanne and, and my mom. And my grandma ended up marrying um, a, a gentleman uh, named Al Kutsky who uh, lived uh, on the Klamath River in Northern California. How they met I, I i still don't know that story completely i've heard a couple different versions uh, but regardless um she went from a portland again that was um quite a bit different than today uh right after world war ii and um she moved to the klamath river and it was pretty impoverished um it, you know it's impoverished
0: today yeah i was gonna say it hasn't changed too it much. hasn't
1: it hasn't changed much but one thing i would say is in fact, when I when I took Grandma Joan up to um, Washington um, uh, towards the end of her life, we went through there and we went to go uh, go through the area uh, of the, that part of the Klamath River where she was raised. And it is so rural today. I can only imagine what it was like in 1951 to to the. Time yeah. She were she you guys able to find the Midwest, lot, even. still dirt roads? Uh it was that well the road uh that uh, to her place, yes, was a dirt road and we were in a big U-Haul. So we decided not to go down that road because I didn't know where we were gonna be able to turn around. It was uh it was really interesting. You know, tiny, tiny town. When I say tiny, it had one stop sign and um yeah, that's how she was raised. So well, you know, I saw pictures she, of her. that was in
0: 2019 or whatever, not yeah,
1: and that was in 2019. So having said that, let me let me let me go forward when she was raised, she was raised in that small, tiny, tiny town. And she was, I think, five miles from that town on the Klamath River. And her father and mother ran a hunting and fishing lodge. Um, He was a prominent prominent sportsman, Um, but the lodge was very rural. In fact, I think when they first got there, when she first got there, didn't have electricity. Um, And uh, that came later. But you know what? They had to be self-reliant. Um, if you wanted uh, meat, Al went out, or my grandmother went out and shot and killed a deer, or uh, whatever it may be, a beaver, you, you name it. That they hunted, they fished.
0: Um, yeah, I think I remember Grandma telling me she like they would eat have to eat muskrats. Oh now. yeah, muskrats.
1: Um, they had they had a, they had an active garden, um, and my grandmother canned, uh, preserved. Um, that's how they lived. You know, one of the things that uh, my mom told me I, several times was that they would farm the kids out to go do work. And wh- what does that mean? Today, it would be called child abuse. Uh, back then, you know, help them pay the bills. So my aunt Suzanne and my mom, and this is when they were like girls, like eight, nine, 10, they would have to get on a bus during harvest season. And they would go and then they would go pick strawberries or they would go pick fruit um that's how it was done in that part of the country uh you didn't have migrant labor uh, uh, up there like you would have today um or the equipment that you have today you, you, they literally went as girls to go pick and they would have quotas they would have to hit i can remember my mom telling me several times that she would just cry because she her fingers were so sore and suzanne would have to actually help her fill her quota uh, fill her basket or fill her bucket, whatever it was, before they could actually go. So, like I said, back
2: when uh, we had labor standards,
1: yeah,
0: <laughs> and you got exactly. little hands at like getting all those tight places. Yeah, <laughs> and
1: you know, I mean, uh, I I don't I don't think that's. I, I, listen, I'm not going to to criticize. I, I'm just saying that that was my mom's reality or your mm-hmm. grandma's reality. Um, she would before she could go out and play. Uh, all the girls all the kids would have to go to like get blackberries if blackberries were in season they had to go pick um blackberries or whatever the fruit was around their house um and bring back a basket or bring back two baskets before they could go do whatever they were
0: going to go do for the day i mean the hell Um, they needed like firewood to like firewood
1: (laughs) um yeah it was uh
0: uh
1: going and cleaning out the pump house um um, and we don't got to go into it too much
2: too, but you know what, being that rural and that's, um, you know, uh, potential for, you know, different kinds of abuse and that sort of thing as well. I can only imagine. And so I, can I, only I imagine. I know, you know, we won't go into it here, but a lot of those different stories, um, you know, develop scars and, and, and different ways in which she was into her later years, I think. Yeah,
0: um, I think suffice it to say she was
1: raised rough. Yeah. She was raised rough. And uh, so she went through that um, as part of her childhood and, um, you know, in her teenage years. And then finally, she, you know, uh, right after she graduated, she well, took off.
2: Worth, <laughs> worth mentioning, uh, we did see a newspaper clipping, you know, when she got into high school and was bust out there. She won Miss Klamath River Beauty Pageant. So you knew she, she was meant for big things.
1: Yeah. Yes. Um, <laughs> <laughs> she was meant for the big city. Me- so she went from city. that. Yeah, she went from that rural environment. And guys, again, I can't even understate or overstate how rural it was yeah.
0: uh to Sacramento. Uh and she um and this is uh like mid 60s, yeah. Uh well she she was born in 67. So that would have made it. Uh, yeah, she was around. It was like 1965 when she moved to San Francisco. Or yeah, so. I think it was. I
1: think it was 66 or 67, and she went to her first job. She she settled in Sacramento for a short period of time, and um, uh, her first job was selling hot dogs at a Woolsworth, uh, which are no longer in existence.
2: If but, you are trying to think of where you've heard that before, from probably my favorite movie, Oh Brother Where Art Thou? Yeah. The guy gets in a fight and says, and stay out of the Woolworth.
1: That's right. So. <laughs> um, and but from she there, did a lot she of went, odd jobs, right? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. My mom has done so many. She did so many jobs. It was, it was car uh, sales, actually. Woman. Incredible. Well, she went from there. She went over to um, back in the day when uh, they, they used to have buses, used to be a, a popular of, of, uh, mode of transportation. She worked for the Trailways um and trailways was a bus line that is, and they actually had stewardesses just like the airplanes do um uh today and so she was a stewardess on a trailways bus and uh she went all up and down california she she did the, the stewardess ship that's where she met my father um they got married had me
0: um well, after... and... go ahead go ahead sorry i don't mean to interrupt i was just gonna say like she was living in, I'm pretty sure, the Mission in San Francisco, like the, that district, um, in 1967. Like, you know. Yeah. So love. Crazy time. But so, my conversations with her, at least, it wasn't like she was, she, she she was like aware of that, but like it was so much in the background because of how much she was just working.
2: Yeah, that, that so uh, in the last hundred years, certainly the top maybe five of cultural moments going on, in she's in the epicenter and uh she's one of the people that isn't with flags and anything else and in protesting or 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 attending concerts she's the person working double shifts
1: at a service counter yeah you know when you talk to her about that time of her life she doesn't even mention any of that because she was so focused on working and trying to provide uh, for herself and trying to survive um that that Protests, concerts, what's that all about? It's, it's, I got to work. Yeah. And that's what she did. So, anyways, so after, after um, my father left her and I high and dry one day, went out for a cup of coffee uh, and a newspaper, never came back. Um, you know, we ended up moving to Southern California where my uh, grandparents were. So we were down in Escondido. And that, and that kind of, uh, we stayed there for pretty much the rest of my, childhood in uh, Southern California. We, we bounced around real quick, uh, um,
2: just because if I was in high school today and I heard what you just said, I would just almost shake my head in disbelief. It's just, it's a lot harder to just disappear today uh, from, you know, everything from internet transactions and the predominance of social media and everything else. Like, I don't know, it it would just, that, that's really hard to imagine, but that, um, but that
1: still happens. And it certainly did happen. Um, Oh, yeah. No, it definitely happened back in 1969 when I was born. My father left in like 1971. Um, You know what, guys? Again, when I asked my mom, your grandmother, what happened, he literally went out for a newspaper, some milk, and was going to get some coffee and never came back. That was just it. Um, I never saw him again. My mom heard from him one time. He reached out to her apologized and said he was gonna come down to escondido and never showed up so that's your grandpa
0: um you know uh, yeah, yeah. So, yeah well we got you know going for us our but, legacy uh, the only legacy we really have from him is our last name and uh, that has its own spurious connotation yeah. so yeah, who, exactly. who knows really what um what his his history was but yeah exactly yeah. about grandma joan so,
2: nonetheless
1: yeah so from there we, we Again, we lived in Southern California. We bounced around a lot. Um, uh, we lived in several uh, uh, different um, uh, places. My mom got married twice after that. Um, both times ended in divorce. Not the best uh, of
2: characters or yeah, nice the, to
1: you. Yeah, I, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, Listen, I, I don't have a, a really a, a, a bad memory. Uh, both were really good to me. Um, disciplinarians, I mean, hard disciplinarians but um, also loved up on me and uh, tried to teach me good lessons as well as the bad lessons I, I did learn. Uh, having said that, uh, grandma decided to leave both those men because of their character flaws. And that's a story for another day because, boy, did they have some character flaws. My, my mom, your grandmother, could really pick uh, what's the word I'm looking for here, uh, men uh, uh, that Bad didn't boys, mind breaking the law. Yeah, <laughs> we'll say that.
0: Well, the law, well, the law wasn't the law wasn't for them necessarily. Yeah. So well, that's it, the we'll thing. That they were like follow petty that petty blue, co- not petty, but they were blue collar criminals in a lot of ways. You know, like, um I mean Al is yeah, a little you, bit you, different, but they like you know they were yeah. hustlers, not like yeah, BS. not white
2: collar, yeah, embezzlement folk, but they were yeah.
0: Well, no Look, one
2: did embezzle, right, Cyrus? I'm well, so sorry. <laughs> I don't mean to say that.
0: Yeah. That's yeah. True but yeah they weren't
2: jv lawbreakers as well california
0: is a little bit Um, more hard when it comes to defrauding the government yes so (laughs) but but you know what that
2: that's really interesting but dad because because from her upbringing through um those three marriages i think it sort of forged a lot of what i remember and i want to still hear about some of the memories you had in childhood but like um of her like boy she had a pretty keen uh judgment of people and was certainly you, you, you she was easy not to trust people
0: yeah it seems like oh. her radar was always on
2: sensitive and it, on it, high it, level.
1: it was and i think that's a lesson she had to learn coming in from that small town and her upbringing yeah she said uh, to sacramento san francisco and then we would go from absolute poverty um living in like uh um log cabin man. public funded well, no, oh, my, you, my mom you. and I oh. public funded basically uh, housing um, in Southern California and they had that back in the day. I mean, we lived in very poverty where she met Al or she met Bobby and then both of those guys um, did have quite a bit of money. So we would go from poverty to what I can remember today as like no no, once at all. And then she'd leave out we'd go into poverty and then she got with bobby and then you know lap a luxury and then into poverty and you know my mom definitely i think through that at least learned lessons and part of that was how to read people and uh she had a key eye her radar was always on and i think after especially after bobby her third husband she always looked at people skeptically Um, there was never a time that she wasn't sizing somebody up from from first impression. She If she met you, she was definitely looking. She was asking you questions and she would form an opinion. Trying to figure it um,
0: out. Immediately. The two most dominant aspects of of grandma's personality or outlook, maybe about the world. She's not an ideological person at all. Um, She's very much like got all of her outlook from practical experience, I think. And it seems like the two thing, the two big things that she leaned on was one, you have to work because you can't rely on anyone to take care of you. Um, And two, you can't really trust anyone. Um, Uh, I would say I
1: agree with you, Cyrus. Which are,
0: you know, lessons that were, you know, given to her because of of the cruelties and vagaries of life. Um, But she took those lessons really hard or too hard, you know. Uh, And and that's something I think we get into a little bit more, but just like the ways in which that benefited her life and also, you know, was a detriment to it.
2: Mm. um, Um, Dad, before we move on to Cyrus and I's sort of memories, you growing up as a kid um, with her and that background, how did that manifest itself? Like lessons, you know, I'm
1: sure you've got thousands of memories, but. Yeah, you know, especially over the last... Um, I'd say month, it's, I've had a lot of time to reflect. And, you know, when I was telling the story about have, her having to go work uh, and pick strawberries or go pick fruit or um, go out and forage or do the firewood or whatever it was before she could start her day, um, that carried over to me. Um, I can tell you several times, There was, I'll just give you one story, is um, there was a, a tournament called Over the Line down in San Diego that my mom and her uh, girlfriend used to go participate in. So me and the uh, uh, Joni's kids used to to go over to uh, over the line with them, and before I could go out and play, I had to go collect a couple bags full of cans. And you see so what, "What does that mean?" So I mean, imagine a ten-year-old going out and having to go through and go from little. At this adult or, beach party, to be clear, uh, right. this is an adult beach party. <laughs> it's a big deal in San Diego, and you'd get down on Mission um, Island, and you'd have to go from a little area to area. And I would have to go up and say, Hey, can I, can I collect your cans and go through their trash? So I would have to bring back to my mom, uh, two trash bags full of cans and then I could go play. And that wasn't the only time it uh, almost anywhere we went, I had to go collect cans. I had to do
0: something uh, that she considered work before I could go play And And did you ever see her like do anything with those cans or like turn them in or no, no,
1: it it was, it was, it was, I think she just, that's how she was raised. And that's what you were supposed to do. There's a price to everything. Yeah. Yeah. You, you just don't go play. What does that mean? Play. um, Again, some people might consider that child abuse today. I look back on it now and I I almost laugh because I can't even imagine if, if your kids today and saying, Hey, we're going to a football game. And before I let you guys go into a uh, pro football game, you got to go around all the tailgates and bring me back two trash cans full of cans. <laughs> Think about that today, yeah.
0: right? That'll instill some, some lifelong humility in you, for sure.
1: Uh, yes, it, it's taught me some lessons. And, and um, there's, there's no job I, I wouldn't do or haven't done. And when you're 10 years old or 11 years old or 12 years old digging through people's trash cans, you'll remember that for the rest of your life. Um, I will never look down upon anybody trying to collect cans, bottles, whatever. And I've been yeah, there. It's, it's, yeah, it's amen, kind
0: of a, a, a little bit of a, a tangent, but it just reminded me of, you know, like in, in college campuses and stuff like that. Um, if like people will just like drink or whatever at a party and just throw the cans on the ground because there are these people that they call like can fairies, which are usually Mexican immigrants or whatever. Yeah. They'll just like come around with a bag and just pick up all the, all the beer cans and, and whatever else. And it's just Man, a lot can change in a couple of generations. It can. It
1: can. Hmm. So why do I tell that? I don't tell that story to say for me. I tell you that that my mom used to have to do that and her sisters and brothers have to do that as kids. And that's what she knew. And that's what she was trying to teach me. Um, And uh, I would say uh, all growing up, um, uh, I had to work. Um, And uh, I look upon that now, very fondly, and say, "Hey, listen, I I learned my work ethic from uh, my mom, and I and I wouldn't I wouldn't take away any of those lessons. Um, they were a little more painful when I was a kid, uh, but but reflecting on them now, I'm glad I learned them."
0: Yeah, I, I grandma, especially you know as, as she neared the end of her life, you know she life had been had been hard to her and hard to her body, and I think a lot of you know just it, her her whole. Uh, personage in general um but that's really a testament to the fact that she never stopped working um yeah. and i think that's because she i mean maybe we can go into this a little bit about when she moved in with you guys um and and how what that kind of did to our identity as someone who had always been able to rely on herself
1: well you know guys a- after you know as i got older um my mom did all kinds of jobs like you had mentioned earlier, she yes. sold cars she cleaned houses.
2: Well, she cleaned uh, boats like in San Diego boats. for a long time. Yeah, and I mean, but, and don't forget, I, I want to share a story or two about uh, working a swap meet. I mean, she did that for, oh, for years. Well, she, she, yeah, she did that for the last, basically almost half of her life. Um, but, and I mean, like no, to people who don't know, get, it's, and there are many different kinds of swap meets. It was either big show with, you know, tens of thousands of people, or it was like, man, she would go t- to earn her money under the table, like, go to like a black top asphalt you know deal and then sell jewelry
0: Rose so, Bowl, you know, Long Beach Kobe San Diego yeah. And yeah that was all a 4 a.m wake up and a yeah know, selling all day in the hot sun sort of situation well
1: you know uh, let me just tell you when we when we finally got to Riverside and this was my high school years my my when I was in eighth grade and ninth grade my mom was working as a waitress she was working double shifts I'm going to school being a knucklehead because there's no parent around but she worked as hard as she could, and she realized she was never going to make enough. So she started also cleaning houses on the side, which turned into cleaning model homes. And at that time, Southern California, the Riverside area, the Moreno Valley uh, area was starting to really boom. And she worked. When I, guys, when I say she worked seven days a week, that's not an exaggeration. Like I, worked, I walked five miles uh, to school each way, both times uphill, right? No, yeah. you know, she worked seven days a week. And she started a business, and that business became relatively successful. She just didn't have the business acumen to be able to turn that in to the type of business where she didn't continue to work hard. Um, she worked hard, not smart. Um, and she turned it into where she was uh, – um, I think at one year, she, they cleaned like 5,000 model home, not model wow. homes, but the new homes – so she cleaned the model And she had like it.
0: one or two employees. Oh right yeah, now. that's
1: it. And so my mom was the workhorse and people would help her, including myself because I was getting no free ride. And she'd let me know that. Uh, you want to live in this house. I know you're 13, but you got to work.
0: Well, so, you can crouch down lower than I can. So, <laughs> you're built for the floors. Yeah, <laughs> it, 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 exactly.
1: So, and, and again, I don't, I don't look back on that time with pity. I, I look back now and go, gosh, I wish she just had a little bit more um, of like the business acumen or someone to have helped her. She could have turned that into an unbelievable business. Well, she's, she burnt out so hard uh, from working seven days a week for years guys years. Um, there was no going to football games or doing any of that with, with the things I was participating in because she was trying to provide. Cause remember again, when I said, when we moved to Riverside, when I moved to Riverside in eighth and ninth grade, we didn't have a refrigerator. We she had just enough money to um, get us rent, but food. But we lived out of an ice box or an ice chest, so it was about buying ice every day. And it's yeah, almost things like
0: healthcare—that's like, you know, oh yeah, so Wait, peripheral, that, that, it's not, yeah. a, not impossible.
1: And she, she—it made her feel really bad that she didn't, she couldn't provide all that. But she put a roof over our head. She gave us food. And you know there was some, some security there. Having said that, once she started cleaning the houses and building that up, you know what? Here comes a refrigerator. Here comes TV. She she really, um, yeah, took Pride in you being know able what? To provide absolutely. That's
2: one thing. Uh, but through my memory, out. through my memory of her, she loved giving gifts. You know, even yeah. when she didn't have money, she giving a gift like. You know, she really took a war against your like, you know, a recent obsession the last couple of years, dad, of like, we, you know, we anti-materialism. Let's just give each other time and experiences. She thought that was heresy, damn heresy. Yeah,
0: you know that, that I mean? was that was never an option for her. And that's that's why I didn't even really push it with her because I was like, you know, she's going to my gift to her is letting her give me a gift. <laughs> <laughs> God yeah. bless you, Cyrus.
2: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm,
0: what can I say? I'm a giver. yeah you are you're a team player for sure
2: (laughs) so okay dad so so we want to um we could do this all day uh drive through so um i mean and so we know she moved to hawaii she moved back um
1: she moved back to hawaii she moved back
2: yeah and and just hustling um the business i think she she gave it up and and then you know what and eventually i i have some early memories of her but i want you to connect
1: those those years yeah Well, uh, you know, know, guys, once she moved back uh, the final time, uh, it was really when Chase, you were uh, very small and Cyrus, you were very, very, very small. And that was kind of the uh, time she really wanted to be around mom and I, you two boys, and be part of family. She moved back to Riverside. Well, she lived with us for a little while. Yeah, she did. She lived with us for a little while. I always invited her to live with us if she wanted. Yeah. Um, But but grandma wanted her independence. Um, And again, she started waiting tables, uh, doing odd jobs. And then she got into the jewelry business where she hustled, scrimped, saved, went to uh, thrift stores, went to garage sales, and she started building up this jewelry uh, business that she she did the rest of her life. So just from a sentence
2: or two, maybe you can just tell people how much inventory she really still has and and has
1: given. Well, I don't want to get into all that, but what I would say is this: My mom was a collector. Your grandma was a collector. She loved what she did. It was her passion. Her retirement so plan found, too. She, yeah, it was her retirement plan. It was her passion in life, and it was it was a, a job that was she was able to at that point. Um, well, she enjoyed it. I uh, go into a thrift store. Buy it wasn't the, as
0: I, hard as all the jobs she does. Yeah, oh, buying yeah, a bag
2: of five dollar jewelry and then finding six pieces in it for fifty bucks each.
1: Oh yeah, she loved yeah, that. jackpot. So that was like her. um That was her passion, and she did the hustle. She, was a, until she,
2: she oh, was a hustler, and hustler. then you know, and that it gets into like some of the things. I remember working swap meets with her, and I I guess I need contextualize it later, Dad, when you asking her like trying to help i like, okay, well, can we put some prices on these pieces of jewelry? And she was adamantly against that. And I would watch her sell jewelry, walk around, because, you know, some, some of those days were long, and that was just me complaining. Uh, but she would always have a price per the person. Uh, is that what your guys' experiences were?
1: Uh, for me, yeah. And <laughs> I know somebody else had said this, and so I don't know who it was, but so for lack of a better way of saying it, she basically didn't want to put prices on there. I told her it's going to make it easier, mom. And she says, no, you don't understand this piece of jewelry. Some people will pay $10 for it, but some people will pay $50 for it. So I always want to, I always want to talk to who the customer is. I have my bottom line price, but if somebody wants to pay $50 for it, not then I would stop. Like to let them. I'm not going to stop them. And, and you know what? It would be funny though, because also she had that bottom line price. I can't tell you how many times I went and helped her, just especially if she got older and somebody would say, Hey, uh, what's, what's the price? And she'd say $15. And they say, would you give it to me for five? And her response, she wouldn't even dick her at that point, her be, keep walking. <laughs> just didn't have time. would <laughs> be, be like, what? She says, keep walking. The person's like, no, no, no. She goes, keep walking. I don't want to sell it to you. I mean, that's how Grandma Joan was. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, she didn't have knew, time for. Uh... So she, well, yeah. Basically, she knew that she, she just wasn't going to go down. She had a bottom price. That's what it was. She wasn't going to dick her.
0: Um, um, but, you know, if her bottom price was 15 and she asked for $50, she would go down to 15 You know, she was extremely frugal and careful with her money in large part because her budget was so tight. I think because yeah. of how, uh, well, I mean, we mentioned healthcare earlier, but that is my memory of her, you know, even from being a young child and having conversations with her, like by far her biggest expense was health insurance. Ah,
1: uh,
2: yeah, that's worth contextualizing. Cyrus Dad, go for that.
1: Well, I think that the two things that guided grandma in the back half of her life are two things a roof over her head and health insurance. And I mean, really with health insurance in particular. Um, There was times that we, when she was kind of hitting some hard times in Southern California, I said, why don't you come live with us up in Eagle? Um, Because we didn't have a lot of extra money to be able to send. We just didn't. Idaho. Um, And uh, she says, I can't, Uh, I have to have Kaiser. She was so stuck on having Kaiser and that insurance. Paid upwards of
2: like 900 a month for it, which was like a huge expense for her. Like she didn't have at times a car.
0: Well, yeah, yeah she I lived. Think- she lived on a houseboat because without like plumbing, because yeah. that was her main expense. Was-
1: yeah, yeah. So,
2: I'm not cool that. Uh, she- but you know what? That healthcare. I mean, she got like shots in her vocal cord so she could continue to talk. And so, and then she always wanted to have a safety net in case you know she did get cancer, and as she did. Yeah. So,
0: well, and I ended up working out for her because that's the thing about Kaiser is they're you know super high monthly uh, premium. Um, but very little in the uh, deductible and copay, um, which yep. did serve her, you know, at the end of her life. But really, really dominated her her financial decisions. I feel like at least for most of my my childhood, and that's because yeah. she had that specific condition that really only Kaiser offered regular tr- or it, it, inexpensive treatments for if you had insurance, which is the yeah. shots in her vocal cords.
2: I definitely, though, yeah, uh, remember a lot of uh, time with her when we were in Southern California, either, you know, working with her or spending time on the boat, uh, the houseboat she lived on, or, um, or you know what, uh, Dad, I, I certainly didn't get any kind of strict disciplinarian through her like I, you did, but I do remember, I've told Samantha's parents before, they thought it's funny, um, you know, like, you guys, well, if I was going to get a spanking and I um, got I'd say probably quite a few at at least a certain period of my life. Um, I'd have to go into my room and pull my down my pants and think about what I did and wait till you guys weren't angry, which looking back was, you know, a super blessing. Uh, But (laughs) when she was there and I was, you know, pants around my ankles and she came in to check on me, I decided to uh, try and um, solicit uh, her support uh, for my cause (laughs) <laughs> and try to get her to go talk to you and mom about how i was really a good boy and that you know i might have just made a mistake or something like that and um man i went into it hard like foolishly thinking like i could probably convince her and then you know she let me do it to the point of just listening um which is not also a grandma joan trait she she'd cut you off if she had something to say and then um and then she, you know what uh, she started walking towards the door and turned on her heel and just said uh well like i'd heard you know a few other times but um you know, your mom and dad spoil you. They don't <laughs> discipline you hard enough. Beat his ass, Chris. <laughs> and, uh,
0: I still remember going,
1: Nana, no. <laughs>
0: you know, that is funny, though, because I really don't remember her disciplining us in a physical way at all. No, I mean, it was, yeah, her was chastising just, like, mom and dad for not doing that. Like, this is your responsibility. I'm just going to give my take on it. Yeah, yeah, yeah it was Grandma definitely was- – Increase the frequency and intensity. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh,
1: you know, the, and, 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 you know, with the uh, spanking, uh, you know, that's how grandma was raised. That's uh, what she did with me. Um, I don't know how she was raised exactly. I mean, she never went into all the stories, but I know she was disciplined uh, with, with belt switches. Um, but grandma with me would use frying pan, hang, whatever, whatever that was close. Um, and we tried not to to do that like my mom did, but um, she definitely always said we were too easy on you boys. Um, she loved you guys to death, but she wanted you to be good. And that was her way, I think, of uh, uh, saying, hey, you need to discipline them so they're not problems in society or they, they you're teaching them lessons. And and. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I think by many comparison. Times, you know, many times she's like, you're too, you're spoiling those kids. They're spoiled rotten. But then she'd go straight and buy you guys a bunch of stuff and spoil you. So I'm like, oh my gosh.
0: Yeah, she, she didn't have a lot of money, but whenever we would go visit her in San Diego, it was, you know, uh, SeaWorld and uh, Balboa and Definitely. The Mission Bay. Bay. Yeah, I mean, all that stuff was, she didn't even really think about it. Um, you know, she'd get us in and out and all the goodies. Um, She, she definitely, I don't know. It's, it's interesting to me um, thinking about her life and her relationship to you. And then, as you said, when she sort of moved back to the the state side after Chase and I were, you know, starting to become, uh, you know, children. Um, But, you know, almost above everything, she was extreme. I feel like extremely dedicated to us um, and really, you know, that seemed to be almost in many ways the focal point of her life after after that was me and Chase.
1: Uh, I would agree. Uh, that's th- that's what is a little bit sad, especially in our society today, where we just couldn't all be together, you know, because um, she loved you boys so much. And she, she, I think she wished she could have been a bigger part of your life, just being closer, if nothing else, just to be there and watch, you know, be the fly on the wall.
0: Maybe that's a good opportunity to, to talk about sort of the end of her, her life. Yeah, I was about to say. Yeah. I had a, a you know the opportunity before the pandemic um to spend a couple months down there with her when she started to you know take it more of a turn for the worse in 2020. And more than anything it just made me, you know, it was I'm really glad I got to spend that time with her. Um I don't know. It, it she was living in a care home at the time and there was a lot of elderly people there who were, you know, not in the best straits and there were very few visitors. Um at that place and it, it just was a real reminder of how once someone in the society loses their quote-unquote value their ability to contribute economically to the, the the society they're just at best an afterthought and at worst just completely deserted yeah but i'm i'm grateful you know because of your hard work and the me you know you you had some means and that was able to help take care of her and then we was able to enable us to be able to spend time with her, which, you know, is not something that especially over these last couple of years that. Yeah. Her
2: sister, Suzanne and Buzz, or, you know, spending visiting her last bit was, was definitely a a godsend. Um, I'm grateful that within this last week or two, uh, we were able to introduce her to Cato just because, I mean, she was almost nonverbal by the time, you know, we showed up. And man, if you could have plugged a spark plug in her, that was it. Um, her getting to hold and see great-grandson, which is pretty cool. Um,
0: which is amazing in ways, because it's not like, she, I mean, in her head, she must have known that she wasn't able, this was it. This is the only time she's going to spend with Cato. Um, But I think it was if anything, a reminder that, like, in ways, like, you know, she's going to live on at least through him. Um, And I think that's sort of one of her obsessions a little bit towards the end of her life, especially, I mean, she was terminal basically for, like, seven years, if I'm not mistaken, right?
2: I mean, yeah, she outlived her life expectancy by, like, over six years.
0: Yeah. Um, In, In
2: hardcore stage four, hardcore chemo that setting. whole time right
0: um, she, but and that was uh, one a testament to her like desire to keep living like she'd loved living and for reasons like you know seeing cato which i know she wanted to see you know our, our children and that sort of thing um and also just i think too because of a, a almost paralyzing fear of, of death yeah um, you so know
2: I, I didn't say this to her um, when I you know we had the opportunity to do one on one with her like the night or two before she passed, but her grit and desire to survive is something that uh, I forget because I mean all my needs are met. I get food and water and shelter, yeah. and therefore I am entitled with other freaking problems like getting into too long of a line at Costco, right, or being late to something because. You know, I misprioritize my time.
0: Survival um, is very low on our, your it list. It is. Now. And
2: then that's something that like, you know, what's that even, or just that humility that comes with survival, right? Like the humility that's willing to dig through trash or something like that.
0: That's that,
2: that the humility of survival, mm. if, if in some ways I want to be able to, to pass on from her, because it was a defining characteristic to her last. And Cyrus, you said it was mirrored by like a pretty, uh, significant, deep fear of death, but also one in which, and, um, it, uh, you know, something to keep her fighting on. And so, yeah, I, I, I want to talk a little bit about that and sort of our time with her in the final, you know, years.
0: Yeah. Dad. specifically, I'm a little curious about uh, your reflections um, at, towards, you know, especially in those last months of her life. I know you got to spend some time with her alone that we didn't um, before she started to sort of lose her, her verbalization Uh, and you know, I know it's, you, you talk with her more than anyone, you know, every day on the phone, pretty much, um, unless she didn't, didn't feel up to talking, but I know you always tried. Uh, what were some of those conversations like, or if you feel comfortable sharing some of them?
1: Yeah. Listen, I, I, I don't mind sharing these grandma. My mom did not want to talk about death. Um, there are several times I tried to, um, have those very difficult conversations uh, about you know you know mom when you pass she did want to be cremated where do you want your ashes spread um thing, things of that nature and she just absolutely didn't want to talk about it because i think it, it 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 was really at that point if she was to talk about that then she'd be admitting defeat and her whole mindset and that's how she was her whole life is I need to stay focused on the goal. I'm going to live. I'm fighting this. I can't talk about where I'm going to be buried or where I want my ashes spread. Because at that point I'm kind of getting, give- I think in her mind, she was giving up. Yeah. Um,
0: but you know, and to her credit, I mean, maybe that is what kept her alive that long. You know? <laughs> it, it, it may
1: maybe even in the, even in the last week when I got there that, uh, the, the week before she passed, um, there was a couple of things I wanted to talk about, and you know, talk about the afterlife. What were her thoughts? And 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 she just did not want to talk about it at that time. She just says, "I'm not dying." You know. Well, Mom, I appreciate what you're what you're saying, but there are some things I would like you to come to, you know, a realization around. And she just didn't she didn't want to talk about it. Guys. And that was tough because it was sort of met by a like,
2: you know, in maybe the tougher moments, like you just want me gone, and it's like, ugh. No, obviously yeah. not. You know, yeah. um, I think
0: that's that's you know not totally uncharacteristic of of end, very end stage cancer patients, from what I understand. Yeah, it's yeah. Not sort of a common sentiment expressed. Well, yeah, but I, thing- I do feel like maybe Chase, her seeing Cato in a way, was a turn. You know, I I don't mean to get too uh, metaphysical here, but I think like a lot of people in our society especially if you're not religious or don't have any sort of spiritual background or understanding, um, you know, they, they do think of that, that once they die, the world dies, you know, for all intents and purposes. And, and that is, I think, a governing notion of a lot of, especially people who are of a higher level of privilege and and wealth and success in this country um, that, that all they like that, that's how they live their life is that when they die, the world dies. But I feel like, and I was scared that that's what she was thinking, you know, sort of in her in her life, because I, I know she she was worried about like the the blackness after death. It just it just being the end. But I, I don't know, maybe I'm projecting here, but I do feel like when she saw Cato and like saw like the future in him, you know, he stood. He, he was a he was a reminder that like things do go on and that like she will be a part of that in, in a meaningful way. Um, and I think it's part of why we want to do this episode, but you know, that's to me, I, I feel like her seeing was, was uh, it, it provided her some relief. Um, I, and maybe, maybe that's just my own, um, like I said, projection or, or trying to help me rationalize it, but I hope, I hope that did a little bit.
2: I think that might be correct, actually. I, I certainly feel like there was a weight off of my shoulders, of Samantha's shoulders, and it was really nice to, you know, put him in you know in bed with her um you know one thing that it's worth also talking about it was before covid but she you know dislocated her hip a few times and she was going under and a doctor had recommended not even do any anesthesia or stuff like this right because she could die on the table and she was of course like f that noise like we're gonna go with whatever's gonna give me the longest longevity even if it's a higher risk and we had a lot of candid conversations and uh, certainly ones in which um, some were resistive or whatever, but why, you know, I coming from, like, I wanted to share with her what I believe, you know, life after death, heaven and hell. And, uh, you know, we all, I believe die once and then face judgment. And, um, and I, I had probably two or three conversations with her. Uh, Samantha was a part of that really shined through all that. And so it was a little while ago. But it's what gives me hope for her is that um, one of the conversations right before she went in, on, in on, under anesthesia, like the night or two before, she had sounded like she had broken through any kinds of clouds and was like, you know what, Chase, like I've accepted God's forgiveness, I've asked for it, I, I, you know, I, I'm completely at peace with God. Like, yes, I believe in Jesus, and I, and I, and I'm gonna, I'm, I'm okay if He chooses to take me. I'm gonna go be with Him. And I just remember like because that was so not her, going like, whoa grandma like praise god and um um and i just think you know what uh uh, that's that's we are promised like this blessed assurance like we get to know um that we can you know to, to be absent with the body is to be present with god but you know what um obviously the trials the experiences or the scars in our life and sort of her just time and immaturity and belief, like, you know what I mean? So it wasn't able to grab onto those promises, um, of her faith. And so, you know what, um, I have a hope that, you know, it says that if you, uh, dad, I was reading the scripture with you, um, in Corinthians, I think it's first Corinthians three, just that like, you know, what? if we can build our entire life on, um, we can build our entire life. And it'll all be exposed to fire, a death, and a judgment. And um, if we build our life on anything but Christ, um, it'll burn. But those who have accepted Christ and then those who have, you know, have God's forgiveness and have forgiven, um, like, they'll escape as if by fire. And they will, like, pass into salvation. And so um, it's, it's, it's a it's a belief and a hope of mine that that's w- what happened. Um
0: Yeah, I mean, obviously I don't share that whole thing totally, but the sentiment definitely, which is, you know, I've obviously taken a lot of positive lessons and some, you know, negative lessons from, from grandma's life, but more than anything, the biggest lesson, I think from her death is, you know, if you've seen someone on their deathbed and which I, I had before when I was much younger, you know, had much less understanding of the world and, And to see the fear on her face Mm. those last days, it did not look comfortable or or a pleasant way to pass um, beyond this mortal coil. And that is, that is something that, you know, I think people should, should give some consideration to is where their fear of death comes from uh, and, and in what ways they can, they can ameliorate that. And, and, you know, why exactly, I, I mean, Obviously, like we don't, you know, no one knows for sure. Uh, what, what, uh, Cyrus, what,
2: I actually think that's on. That's on point, and I don't want to get too conceptual or abstract. Cause this is about grandma. But yeah. even in like very, um, new age books, you know, like what I would consider a postmodern Western, like existential, uh, book, very faddish. The subtle art of not giving a fuck, right? Um, and it's basically, you know, your your number of Fs, we'll say are, are, are limited. And so it's, it's actually a really good book, very practical, but it's based on that philosophy. And he says like a lot of that prioritization of what you should care about, what you should prioritize, what you should give value to is largely shaped by death. Um, And so whether it's a Christian perspective and one, which like I have, um, or it's a totally new age, the, we, we under talk about death in our culture because it's about building. It's about making money. It's about, you know, doing other things. And the, it, we are certainly light on the consideration of death. I think relative to our ancestral human history, because death was so much closer and much more frequent for so many other people.
0: And, and yeah, it so I, I almost, that it, it's the way you're talking about it. I mean, it just sounds like almost our idea of this country in a lot of ways too. And I think that's, that, that that's why it bleeds over into our personal lives, but just, um, This. Perpetual, I don't know about optimism, but like even in World War Two and World War One, like the European officers remarked that like the Americans were like, they're like, these guys are so optimistic. It's so annoying. Like it's I can't be around them. (laughs) <laughs> because well, you know yeah. they, they were you know european and have a slightly more cynical sensibility
2: well and yeah, hey, had seen generations towns you know uh pass away in world war one and world war two right and so
0: obliterated
2: right yeah so maybe just throughout our american history we've just been light on death and yeah. I, I i say again even american history you're like sort of like that's when the world history began (laughs) but uh, but clearly you know we're 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 the young kid on the
0: block so so what are
2: you saying it didn't yeah
0: we've (laughs) been spared by like more than any other place in the world um the worst of the 20th century um you know all all of the things that dominated our our conception of the 20th century for world powers that's right positive bright spots you know, like our yeah. biggest points of pride are World War II, whereas I feel like everyone else is like, I mean, there's a pride there, right. but there's also a real understanding of the sacrifice. Um, well, yeah. then, you know what,
2: guys, maybe we, we turn around and just share at least one thing. Uh, there's many more for each one of us. I, I'll lead off that I remember and appreciate. And specifically, I want to teach Cato uh, about Grandma. And I said, it was like that survival mentality. It's also a self-reliance and it's a, um, you know, reason we got gas and water in the house and I'm going to stock up even more because I want it to be like, Hey, we have these because we, we, you know, our family didn't always have these. And it's really important to have backups and reserves and these sorts of things, because um, you know, grandma was very quick to say like, you know, point out people relying on the government or whatever you know, they couldn't fend for themselves is really what she would say. Um, and so, and as well as to, you know, now that I've got some, the means teach more about myself, how to hunt and, and Cato and, and those sort of things,
0: survival um,
2: skills Survival skills and, um, and do it with, with a purpose. There's other things that you guys might say, but that, that's the one thing I want, I want to call out.
0: No, That's a good one. I definitely think that's true. And something I've taken too. Um, I would say for me, you know, grandma was a member of the underclass and the working class her whole life. Um, and hardcore working class, hardcore working class, um, both in affect and in, in actual life experience. Um, and, uh, to me that like, was both like for someone in her position having been born in, in an extremely backwoods part of the part of the country um, and being willing to go to Sacramento and San Francisco, you know, a lot of our own personal conversations between her and I were about taking control over your own life um, and not letting other the actions of other people or the opinions of other people or whatever else uh, dominate what you do decide to do. Uh, and you know, she lived her whole life that way of of, of a boldness and uh, an adventurousness and borderline recklessness, um, which I think I take a little bit all three from. Um, but that willingness to engage with the world on its own terms, and you know, put your own like personal safety, you know, maybe secondary or, or tertiary behind uh, the just a desire to gain more out of life, to get more out of it. You know, she, I didn't know her in her younger days. I've seen pictures and heard stories and stuff like that of, of you know, what I feel like is for someone who works seven days a week but would still have like a zest for life in the way that she did uh, is, is I think a testament to, I don't know, just her, the, the dynamism of her, her spirit. And and I hope that I have some of that in me. And I, I think I think I do. Um, but it really, you know, whenever I'm faced with a, a decision of, of what to do or, you know, like sometimes I think of what would grandma Joan do in this situation to know what not to do. Um, but other times way too much work. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Other times it's, you, you gotta take a chance, um, at the end of the day, like you don't, I I remember during some very tough times in my life, having conversations with her where she just was. It, you know explaining that you that you can't plan for anything i mean i think that's what her life was like was a bunch of best laid plans that didn't you know come to fruition in the ways that she thought they would um but that also gave her a little bit more of a flexibility in the way she she did her life so so that i mean there's other things too um street smarts amongst other things maybe Dalgan and some of that but you know that that's something that has always stayed with me and, and really factors into a lot of the decisions i make Cyrus I I
2: just hear a lot of the things we spoke about in our Ecclesiastes it's you know all smoke or vapor um just I don't know I've been thinking about that particular conversation we had a lot in relation to this one
0: yeah yeah me too um I mean she embodied a lot of uh like sort of essential and ancient wisdom in ways um but that I don't know. It served her well in some cases and didn't in others, but I, I, her life, if anything, her legacy for me is that like using her life as a roadmap or like a guidebook to uh, see when, or to decide how I should, how I should act when I'm encountered with certain situations.
1: Mm. I think for me, you know, definitely self-reliance. Uh, my mom, uh, she, she only accepted a few gifts or help from a uh, family and um, that, that, that also is something I learned and that will always carry on. Um, like, for instance, uh, Suzanne and Buzz, uh, her sister and, and brother-in-law really um, uh, were, were there for my mom, your grandma. And so I, I did learn self-reliance, but I also learned the importance of family. When, when you need help, um, that's who you can rely on or you should be able to rely on. And um, she helped mom and I. It's probably the only people that ever really helped us uh, was, was my mom uh, in, a, in a couple situations. We tried to repay it as best we could. Um, so that will always stick with me. Um, you know, the street smarts, you mentioned that. Uh, I think both Chase and Cyrus both mentioned that. And yeah, and you know what? Learning from your mistakes. Learning to size people up. Um, understand what their motivations are, Um, um, you know, trusting your um, first impression, that gut feeling you get about somebody. I can't tell you how many times my mom had had told me stories of she didn't trust it, you know, especially when she was younger earlier in her life and how she came to regret that.
0: Yeah. It seems like grandma (laughs) was like, in some ways, all instinct, you know, she, it was instinct. And she, when
1: she didn't, trust her instinct and she didn't act on her instinct it always turned out bad and she would share those stories with me so now today it's it's even the same way where that's instinct for me and and i've and i've and i've learned those lessons and i'm going to carry that on and i hope chase that you or cyrus at some point with kids especially with cato that you you pass that on you know that's not a bad thing to trust your instinct. you know when especially when you when you've been bitten several times you have good ones right it 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 it, when when you put your hand in fire it's gonna burn yeah and
2: and that's why sorry dad you know what i had gone on mute a little bit because kato crying but um yes and Cato's namesake you know wisdom through experience that's why uh, not just for this conversation but a lot of our offline ones where we get in like the gritty details of Mm -hmm. some lessons learned from a life hard yeah. lived that it's important for uh, for me through in my life and I hope you know y'all and yours I, I believe you you guys will lead by example in that it, like, to live courageously and to tell stories courageously
1: yeah
2: which is strength in vulnerability like oof this was a vulnerable situation and it would be foolish of us not to pass it on because you god forbid repeat generational sins or generational mistakes like that will not be that. You, that is not your namesake.
0: Yeah, it's it's really interesting. Like if you don't, or if you're not willing to make yourself look weak or vulnerable through past mistakes or transgressions that were done by you or to you, um, and the lessons you took from that, then you know that that is that is human progress, right? There is the willingness to accept flaws and mistakes and learn.
1: Well, I was going to say one other thing. I I just have to get this out there too, and. I've mentioned it to you and I got it from grandmas. There's certain times in my life where, you know, you start making money, you start doing a little bit better. And I think you start feeling a little bit, a um, little high and mighty uh, for lack of a better term, but she would always remind me where I came from and she didn't do that. Um, in, in retrospect, I know she didn't do that to, to be mean or to be negative or to try to bring me down it's a lesson. I want you boys to always remember of where you came from. And, and again, I think that that might be why she, um, would make me go pluck hands. Remember where you came from, because if you know truly where you came from, you're not going to forget those people in the same situations. Um,
0: if you've been there, and if you remember there. being there, then you'll have empathy for, for people in that situation.
1: Absolutely. Uh, so that was a lesson that, that I've, that I've always, um, that, that will always remember. That's a good, um, that's a good lesson. I, uh, well, yeah, I have, I have, uh, you know, like any father, son, any mother son relationship, you have your, your good times and your bad times. Um, I would say this, uh, especially after being with her, as she passed, and I made her a promise that I'm I'm gonna always try to remember the good times. But sometimes those good times, you know, and, and those those positive lessons, like I said, like uh, like picking the cans up, I'm never gonna forget that. Even though those were some of them were painful memories, in retrospect, they're good memories now. Um, it, so it's it's not only the person dying; it's it's the people that are are here left. Um, after somebody passes, is, you know, how do you deal with it? You know, are you going to remember the, the, the good memories? Are you going to focus on the bad memories? Um, and I'm going to choose, and I hope you boys choose to always remember your grandmother fondly and really take away those lessons and, and, and keep them with you for the rest of your life and pass them on.
0: And, and that's something that we haven't really touched on yet. But to give you, a, a, you know, I think a, a pretty tremendous amount of credit. Um, like I know that growing up with grandma wasn't always the easiest for a number of reasons. Um, but like the lessons, I took a lot of lessons from you in the last years of grandma's life about grace, um, about uh, love for, for your family members and, and taking the good with the bad and, and being, you know, and forgiveness. Um, that's, I mean, it, to your credit, I mean, from what I understand of, of a lot of your life, um, that couldn't, that wasn't easy always. Um, and it's, it's been a really g- great example. I mean, I haven't had to deal with anything quite to that, that scale in any means, but it's something that I think people would do well to remember that, you know, without your willingness to forgive and have some grace over some of those things, I think, um, I don't know. I don't think, I think we'd all be worse off for it. Well called out, Cyrus. I don't want to be
2: spare myself of being courageous in the sense of I remember, well, like, very. I, I remember shocked that Grandma was coming back to live with you guys when you were in and um, back in Southern California, just because um, we'd tried that before, and there had, you know, as a kid, you remember just certain things, and there had been some like some some pretty significant arguments where like I just didn't think that would ever happen um but you know uh, yeah dad you you know making sure that she was taken care of um was more than i've expected put it that way not as a you know a call on your character but just as in remembering past situations going like oh man like she ain't never gonna you know that that, never gonna my parents will never let him live with her
0: yeah so many people in that situation would have just put them in a home left them to the state Or whatever else. And I just I know it wasn't always easy for you or mom. Um, but I think it was it was the right thing to do. And I think it 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 definitely kept her going. Um, and you know, that value, as much as sometimes we were curious about her desire to go on through all the pain and suffering she was enduring during that time. I don't know, it's hard to say she wasn't right to do that based off of some of the valuable time I've got to spend with her in the conversations mm-hmm. we've got to have because of that extension of life. So I appreciate that is, is what I want to say.
1: Well, thanks, uh, gentlemen. I I have to tell you, I I, I have to give credit to God. This is, this is my opinion. And I think God has worked in my life. And I think God worked in Grandma Jones' life. And um, when it gets down to forgiveness, I really The the older I've gotten and the, well, I would just say, I'll say it this way. I tried the best I could uh, to love uh, grandma the way that I know God loves me. And that's really through forgiveness and trying to look at uh, grandma uh, in a very positive light. And um, again, I always will until the day I die, simply because um, God loves us says we should love our parents.
0: Um, and- I mean, having respect for your elders isn't about just because they're older than you. It's because yeah. they've contributed to the world you're living in for their whole life. and And they have seen things that you haven't and they've endured things that you haven't. And yeah. I think that's, I don't know, that wasn't really ever made clear to me or made real to me until these last few years. So I hope that this episode was a good tribute to grandma and a fitting one and i I, I think it was um and you know i hope that we remember these lessons in the next yeah i gotta say this
1: and this is going to date this episode but grandma died in the age of covid and none of us could go see her because she was in manor care up in in this um uh, elderly care center and and I, i don't blame them for restricting visitors not saying that but there really weren't any visitors allowed. They allowed us to go see her because she went on to hospice. And um, so we got to spend a week with her um, at the end of her life. But one of the nurses also said to me uh, that she had seen you know, seven or eight people in the last six months die and they died without a visitor for the last anywhere from six months to a year, um, no visitors. They sat there and they died alone. I only say that to say that you know there's a lot of people out there um, that that uh, in the last year have died um, absolutely alone, and it's 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 heartbreaking, really. So when I look at it in through prayer, um, through um, sure determination of Grandma wanting to live, the timing was. She, amazing made it to me. Long enough. It, she. It was amazing. And and that's where, you know, Cyrus and Chase, I think God's fingerprints are all over because we got to spend a week with grandma at the very end of her life. And it was amazing. And I'll never forget that. Uh, yes.
2: And that we prayed adamantly that she'd be able to see Cato and that, yeah. you know, also that uh, she was able to pass while we were there. And not like, you know, it's some sort of time after. So um, two things, praise God for putting a needle in an infinite time, you know, continuum and weaving it all together. And if anyone hears this, um, don't let your relatives die alone. You know, the staff at the nursing home was their spirits were lifted because they hadn't seen family uh, to support someone, especially like post age of COVID. So, Dear God, may I ever not, you know, do that to anyone in our family, but let us spread that message. We yeah. we saw a lot of people dying alone. Yeah, no question. So,
0: well, that, that about that about wraps it up. It, it
2: does. And you know what, guys, I love you very much. It, it, I'm going to take it with me from today. Just like, man, don't sweat the small stuff either. You know, Samantha's preparing for a lunch and is mad that I'm not helping but like we're to a neighbor, but like, There's you know, even and, you, and that's her decision. And I'm, I'm not trying to like pick at get at get her indirectly right here. But what I'm trying to say is like, I could get all, you know, hot and self-justified and like, uh, you know, like I'm trying to do a thing. Um, but you know what, man, like, I, I love you guys. And it's a reminder of like, man, life is short. And it, Cyrus as an ode to our conversation is a gift of God to enjoy life and to see each other in life, particularly the way, you know we got to see her at the end so yeah um yeah. yeah
0: yeah and all those memories good and bad like dad was saying are gifts so they so are grandma, gifts all of them yeah grandma we love you um you're with us still and uh, i hope you know people didn't find this too navel gazing or, or personal but I, I think it's lessons that everyone can take from so and it's it revolves around a lot of the stuff we talk about here so dad thanks for coming on and, and being willing yeah. to share as it made it made it a lot better well, thanks, uh, guys. I you love you guys. Love uh, my he
1: mom. Yeah, love you too. glad you included me. But principles are eternal. And this has been a contest over a principle. In this contest, brother has been arrayed against mother, father against son. It is for these that we speak. We do not come
2: as aggressors.
1: Our war is not a war of
2: conquest.
1: We are fighting in defense of our homes, our families, and posterity.
0: This has been Cross of Gold. Thank you for listening. Uh, I'd like to thank Sant Invictus for producing our intro and outro songs. And uh, look forward to seeing you next time.